The sermon text for today is Matthew 5, verses 21 through 37. Matthew 5, 21 through 37. Jesus is speaking all of these words. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, a a term of contempt, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish legal council. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made. But I tell you, do not swear at all either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus Christ, we bow before you in humility and in awe before these 
strange and difficult and challenging teachings. Help us to know you and to know your heart and to know your mind and to hear your voice as we reflect together on these strange teachings. Help us to be aware of your presence in this place and to so commit ourselves to following your way that uh, the world cannot mistake us for anything but your followers. Bless this time, we pray, in your holy and precious name. Amen. I call these strange teachings because they are a bit strange. When I was a child, I watched um, many cartoons, as children do or did. I don't know uh, if you've heard of this particular cartoon, the Transformers cartoon. Not the movies. The movies are newer and more full of CGI. This was back in the day of hand-drawn cartoons, remember, with the big blocky figurines. I had a couple of them, I think, that the matchbox car-sized things that could change shape from one, uh, from a vehicle into a a robot sort of a thing. Um, And the the Transformers cartoon show had a theme song that kind of gets stuck in my head, and I think JR hears it too, because he's chuckling with me. Um, Transformers, robots in disguise. I don't know if that rings a bell for you at all. Um, But it's part of my childhood, and so I share that with you. Because... That song has been running through my head this week as I've been thinking about this text from Matthew 5. Not because robots in disguise, but because of the other line, more than meets the eye. Transformers, more than meets the eye. There's more than meets the eye going on here in these four really uncomfortable teachings. And I I believe that wholeheartedly, that Jesus is saying more than just what we see at face value. Because what we see at face value is uh, is kind of depressing and scary and, uh, and almost obscene. I don't know that we really take Jesus totally literally here when we read these words. I notice you all have all of your eyes and hands. Nobody has gone gouging out their eyes or cutting off their hands for various reasons, for various sins. Um, I I notice that we still call people fools sometimes. I do that, usually not to their face, you know. Maybe you do too. It's okay. You know, that's part of, right? I mean, we can admit this, that we don't always use our words in the best possible way. And, wow, we're in danger of the fire of hell or we're in danger of being thrown. Those are really strong words. The discomfort that we feel with passages like these is a sign that there is more going on than meets the eye. There is more happening in this text and more that God wants to do in us than we are immediately aware of. We need to have this passage in its context to see what, uh, what's going on with all of this. This occurs in Matthew 5, which is uh, partway into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, that very famous uh, sermon that Jesus gives on a mountainside uh, to all of his disciples. It, it occurs in Matthew's, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And the sermon begins with what we call the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Uh, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
lots of blessings to people that might not normally be blessed uh, by the world. And then Jesus shifts to pointing to his disciples and saying, you all are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You're the ones who are going to bring this kingdom message to the rest of the world. In other words, and then in verse 17 of chapter 5, Jesus shifts gears again to begin discussing how he himself is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. How everything that God had done before was leading up to Jesus. And Jesus is claiming that he is not starting something new, but rather he is completing what God already began many generations beforehand. Now, for the past several weeks here in our space, we've been thinking about how Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets, the Old Testament characters who uh, looked forward to the arrival of a Messiah, uh, who saw uh, release from captivity or freedom for the oppressed in various ways, uh, coming in the future, coming to a a theater near you, um, hopefully near to the people of Israel in the relatively near future. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets. And now today and next Sunday, we'll be expanding the window a little bit to describe how Jesus is the fulfillment of not just the prophets, but the law and the prophets. The law, of course, includes what uh, Judaism calls the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And it contains all of the commands, all of the rules, all of the regulations that God laid out for the Israelites. And Jesus says that he came to fulfill that, the law, in addition to the prophets. And so today we're looking at these four short and uncomfortable teachings that are really part of a series of six teachings. There are two more beyond the four that we've read today. And they all have the same structure to them. You have heard that it was said, something in the law. But I tell you, I'm going to tighten it a little bit. I'm going to make it a little bit sharper. And all six of these teachings are uncomfortable in their own ways. The key to hearing what Jesus is saying is found in what he says just before these six teachings and just at the end of the six. There's kind of a, a book ending going on to these six strange teachings. And uh, the, the beginning book end is in verse 20, just before what we are focusing on today. Verse 20, Jesus says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness goes above and beyond those people, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who are the most diligent about following all of the rules, you won't make it into the kingdom of heaven. That's a pretty high bar for Jesus to set. Because these uh, Pharisees were very legalistic and very attentive to all of the commands that God had laid forth in, in the law. And they were so rule-oriented, they understood that righteousness was uh, explained by or, or made visible by moral perfection. You were righteous in God's eyes if you lived perfectly, if you didn't break any of the commandments. Remember, uh, last week I mentioned this too, a rich young man, a Pharisee, 
came to Jesus once asking him what he had to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, well, keep the commands. What are they? Well, you know, I haven't killed anybody. I, I don't steal. I honor my father and mother. Oh, and I love my neighbor as myself. I have kept all the commandments. What else is there for me to do? And Jesus turned the question on him and said, well, you're rich. Go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. And then come and follow me. The Pharisees were so rule-oriented that they neglected the more important matters of the law. Not just following rules, but caring for, for others. In verse 20 of Matthew 5 here, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is comprised of people who go above and beyond the standard of just following the rules. It's comprised of people who go deeper in their pursuit of righteousness. People who experience something that's beyond just what's on the page. Who experience what's uh, more than meeting the eye. So you see right away, we know that Jesus isn't asking us to literally gouge out our eyes or to chop off our hands if they lead us into sin. He's not even really concerned about the fires of hell when we get stuck on those details, we're operating at the same level as the Pharisees. Obey the rules or else face the punishment. But Jesus invites people all through his entire ministry to enter the kingdom of heaven. A positive message, not a negative one of fear and punishment, but enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew's language. Sometimes the other gospels say the kingdom of God describe the same reality. At the end of this series of six teachings, the second book end, uh, verse 48, the very last verse of the chapter, uh, Jesus wraps up these six teachings this way. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And there's that nasty word perfect again. Whenever you see perfect in scripture, it doesn't mean perfectionistic, keeping all of the rules. That's the way of the Pharisees. That's not what we're talking about. Be complete, be whole, be uh, mature and fully developed in your spiritual life. Jesus is speaking on a deeper level than just do this and don't do that. Pursue a deep wholeness in your life. Any kind of righteousness that is built on legalistic expectations is just superficial. It's less than what the kingdom of God asks of us and invites us to experience. So what is this deeper level? What is the way of righteousness that is worthy of this kingdom of God? The kingdom of God calls us to a righteousness that acknowledges that we are connected to each other. The righteousness of the kingdom of God recognizes that morality and goodness are not qualities of an individual person, but morality and goodness are qualities that are experienced in relationship with other people. The righteousness of the kingdom of God sees that the spiritual life is not about striving for individual perfection, but striving for adopting a perspective of wholeness. The righteousness of the kingdom of God rejects everything 
that creates divisions or perpetuates divisions among people because division is contrary to wholeness. And you might say, wait a minute, Jesus said here that our righteousness has to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees, and there's a distinction, a division to make. Well, yeah, but Jesus uses that language of division or separation because that's the only language we intuitively understand. He, he gives us these six teachings, again, four of which we've read today, to show us that kingdom righteousness calls us to move beyond those divisions and polarizations that we create so that we might recognize our interconnectedness with each other. So watch how this perspective of being intimately and deeply connected to those around us, watch how this perspective shows up in these four uh, uncomfortable teachings that we've read today. Number one, the law says don't murder. Jesus says, don't even be angry with your brother. Don't call anyone a fool. Why? Because anger and name-calling only serve to increase the divisions between us. Instead, be reconciled to your brother. That's more important than religious offerings. Leave your offering at the altar and go and fix the broken relationship. God can wait. Settle disputes that you have with people, even with your enemy, even with your adversary. Because the way of the kingdom is the way of reconciliation, not division. I've got these four statements to kind of guide our thinking through this process. And here's the first one. The way of the kingdom is the way of reconciliation, not division. Number two. The law says, do not commit adultery. But Jesus says, don't even look at another person with lust in your heart. Why? Because lust turns another person into an object of desire. It makes that person less human in your eyes. Lust increases the division, the the space, the distance between you and another person. So instead... Be whole. You don't want to gouge out your eyes or cut off your own hand. So why would you want to reduce another person to the level of an object that you can simply discard when you're finished with him or her? The way of the kingdom is the way of connectedness, not disposability. Number three. The law says divorce requires a certificate. This is kind of a weird one uh, because the law that we're referring to here, Jesus is referring to, is found in Deuteronomy 24. Uh, The first couple of verses of Deuteronomy 24, you should read it sometime. It's really bizarre because it assumes that divorce is going to happen. And the law in question says something about if a woman is married to a man and she gets divorced and then marries another man and gets divorced again, she can't go back to the first one. It's really kind of bizarre. And that's all that it says about about this. Um, She needs to have a certificate of divorce. Okay, great. Jesus says, don't even get divorced in the first place. Well, why? In Jesus' culture, in that time, uh, divorce was something that only men could initiate. A woman could not file for divorce. And men could divorce their wives basically for any reason. 
even something as minor and as insignificant as a badly cooked meal. Essentially, a divorce was possible for a man to have... I know, sorry, oh boy, they were chuckling, this is not good. Right, okay, right, right, right. Whew. For a man to divorce his wife in that culture often meant that he was just finished with her, that he had no more use for her. So instead, Jesus calls people to recognize that marriage is a serious relationship. It's one of the most powerful demonstrations of interpersonal connectedness and wholeness. To treat marriage flippantly or lightly is to deny the deep connection that marriage represents. The way of the kingdom is the way of commitment, not consumption. Number four, the law says, do not break your oath. Jesus says, don't make any oaths at all. An oath is just a promise, a a sign of your honesty and sincerity made before another person. Don't make those kinds of promises. As God is my witness, I will do this or that. Why not do that? Well, because... When we make those promises to each other, we're revealing that there is an underlying lack of trust between each other. Instead, be the kind of person who doesn't need to make promises. Whose yes means yes. Whose no means no. Be trustworthy. Be reliable. Be dependable in your relationships with others. The way of the kingdom is the way of trusting, not posturing. The righteousness of the kingdom of God rejects anything that divides us. Anything that increases the us versus them mentality that's so easy for us to get sucked into. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament law and the prophets by reorienting us toward a righteousness that is not dualistic a non-dual kind of righteousness in which we recognize the deep interconnectedness of ourselves with those around us. Jesus calls us into the kingdom of God, away from the divisiveness which is so prevalent in our time. Jesus calls us to a righteousness that is built on our interconnectedness with our neighbors. The great command that Jesus gave us, uh, the twofold command, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, To love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, we can think of that second half of the command. Love your neighbor as an extension of yourself. As connected to yourself. Love your neighbor because you're connected to your neighbor. So your challenge for this week is to keep reading. We've read four of the six difficult passages, difficult, strange teachings that Jesus gives. In this chapter, this part of the Sermon on the Mount, the final two teachings are in the next 10 verses, verses 38 to 47. Read those this week. Read them slowly. And read them from a perspective that acknowledges our deep interconnectedness with God and with other people. I'll give you a word of warning, though. Those 10 verses, those last two teachings, have a lot of language about your enemy in them. Are we really connected to our enemies? Maybe Jesus is calling us to recognize that, yeah, we are. 
we're so connected to everyone around us that even those that we are morally opposed to, we're actually part of the same family. So read those 10 verses with an open heart and an open mind. And then as this week unfolds, watch for impulses in your own heart, in your own mind, in your actions, in your hands and your eyes. Watch for those impulses which spring from an us versus them mentality or from a place of division where you see yourself as separate or other than someone else. Watch for those impulses. And when you find yourself going down that path of dualism, the path where you're tempted to do or say something that increases the distance between you and your neighbor, repeat Jesus' words to yourself internally. Love your neighbor as yourself. Or if you dare, love your neighbor as an extension of yourself. Remind yourself that that is our call, our command, to love others because they're part of us. And then see how that posture, how that change in position or orientation, affects what you do or say next in relationship with that person. I guarantee you there is more going on than meets the eye in our interpersonal relationships. Just like the transformers from yesteryear, there's more than meets the eye in our relationships because the truth of the matter is how we love our neighbors and even how we love our enemies is a sign of how we love the Lord. Would you pray with me? God, we We give you thanks that in you we live and move and have our being, as the Apostle Paul once wrote. And we give you thanks that we are part of this incredible world that you have created, this incredible universe full of life, which we are only really beginning to understand as a species. Help us as we go about our daily tasks, our work, our play, our friendships, our struggles, our joys and our sorrows, help us to recognize that you call us to a kind of righteous living that is based on our deep connectedness with you and with those around us. Help us not to create or further the divisions in our world, but rather to be ministers of reconciliation. You have called us, given us this ministry of reconciliation to reconcile the world to yourself and people to each other. Help us to do that work with joyful and glad hearts. And Lord, when we are tempted to use our eyes or hands to harm others, forgive us and give us a new way of vision, of seeing, a new way of acting, a new way of thinking and feeling and behaving so that we might bring life, even as you have brought life into our lives. We thank you, Lord, for this word and for this incredible sermon, which continues, the Sermon on the Mount, which continues to, to uh, speak truth into people's lives so many centuries after it was first spoken. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.